Well, on Friday evening, my family and I were at the back-to-school picnic at my daughter's elementary school. Now, back-to-school is a little bit of a misnomer for us because we just moved into the neighborhood this summer, and so we never sent a kid to school uh, at this school, and so we're not really going back to the school, uh, and we haven't really met many people yet. And so that's the reason why my wife and I were standing in the middle of a playground surrounded by 300 people who we had no idea who they were, uh, but they sure seemed to know each other. They were all talking and hanging out and having a good time. Uh, and it was pretty awkward. Uh, I know that when you're a pastor, sometimes people think, you know, you, you got to be outgoing. It's easy for you to talk to people. But the truth is, I, I'm pretty shy. Uh, if you put me in front of a thousand people, I'm totally cool. Uh, if you put me one-on-one -on -one in a conversation, I'm great. But the mix and mingle party, you know, cookout kind of atmosphere, that's actually where I get stage fright. My, you know, I get all choked up, you know. Um, and, and so it's really awkward. I'm standing there at this, this party and I'm looking around. I'm like, what do I do to just not feel so dumb? Uh, on one side of me, there is actually a DJ who is playing some music for the kids to dance to. There's some adults dancing as well. And for some reason, he's playing the Macarena. Like, is that still a thing? Like, do people still do the Macarena and stuff? And I rule it out. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting in front of my neighbors and shimmying around, you know? That's for my church only, you know? <laughs> And then I look over here and there is a line for ice cream. And I figure that's probably where I'm going to end up because ice cream, you know. And I think I can stand in that line for probably 10 minutes and, you know, not, not feel strange. That'll, that's probably what I'm going to do. And over here are, are those people who are eating their food and, and hanging out. And I think, you know what, probably what I should do is go and introduce myself to someone. I know they live in the neighborhood and just find out who they are. But I'm having a hard time kind of working up the gumption to do that. Uh, and as I'm, I'm trying to, you know, psych myself up, I glance over and I see at the side of the playground, this park bench. And it has the words, buddy bench on it. You ever seen one of these before? Okay, there's an idea that a first grader in Pennsylvania came up with a few years ago. And he was trying to think, how do we help lonely kids at our school? And so he talked to his principal and he said, what if on every playground there was a buddy bench? And if someone didn't have somebody to play with, they could go sit on the buddy bench and other kids would know to go and invite that person to play. It's a great idea. It's actually caught on. Thousands of schools across the country have these things. Uh, and so uh, I'm looking at this buddy bench, and I'm thinking, I wonder if, if I sat there, like, would someone come and ask me to play? Because it's really what I need right now. There, there are so many situations, even as an adult, where I think I could really use a, a buddy bench right now. You ever been lonely? You ever been in a situation where you just didn't know people? Maybe you're new to the community. Uh, maybe, maybe you've recently had a friend who moved away or uh, a friend who's passed away and you, you, you really miss them. Or, or maybe over the years you've, you've tried to pursue different friendships and it just, it just hasn't gotten traction and you feel like, I, I don't really have many close friends. Or, or maybe you come to church every single week and it's taken a lot longer than you expected to connect with people here. You ever feel lonely? Well, today we're starting a new teaching series. It's called In This Together. And we're going to be looking at one of the central values here at Christ Community Church. Our mission as a church is to make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ who are marked by four things, belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. We're going to be focusing in on that first mark of a disciple, belonging, for the next couple of weeks. Now, on the third week, we're actually going to have a really special week. We're going to have what's called Vision Weekend. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Pastor Jim is going to be back from his summer study break. And, and what he's going to be doing in his sermon is uh, laying out all the big things that are going to be going on in the next year here at the church. He's going to be talking about the goals that uh, we feel like God is calling us to pursue over the next year. And it's going to be really exciting. You're, you're going to want to hear it. Uh, that weekend is also a celebration of our belonging uh, as a community. Uh, we commission our leaders for the year. We pray for our elders and our trustees. Uh, and those of us who are members, we reaffirm our commitment to this church community. 
Uh, if you're a regular here and you aren't yet a member, I would encourage you to become a member between now and then. We're actually trying to make it as easy as possible. Uh, at all four of our campuses, we're offering our membership class, Begin to Belong. Uh, and we're actually offering it uh, in some places as a, a one-shot deal. Instead of it being multiple weeks, you can uh, do it all on a Saturday morning and get it done at one time, the easiest uh, we've ever had it uh, before. And, and so when you get to Vision Weekend, you can stand and affirm your commitment uh, to be a part of this community there as well. Also that weekend, we're going to be having uh, the kickoff for our uh, week of prayer with our uh, worship and prayer event called Ignite. It's one of the best nights of the year uh, where we sing and we pray together. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, this is like a homecoming weekend for our church, so I encourage you to, to be there in a couple of weeks. But today, we are going to start talking about belonging. Uh, really, we're going to be start, start by talking about the opposite of belonging, the experience of loneliness. When we talk about loneliness, we're not just talking about the experience of being alone, because uh, you can be alone and not be lonely, uh, but you can be in a crowd and you can be crushed with loneliness. We're, we're talking about that feeling of being isolated, uh, removed from other people. Uh, Mother Teresa, she worked among the poorest of the poor. And one time she remarked that the most terrible poverty is actually loneliness. Because it doesn't just cut you off from resources that you need, it cuts you off from the relationships that you need. And because of that, in one respect, she looked at America as the most impoverished nation on the planet. Even though we have so much wealth, we have an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, back in the 1980s, there was a nationwide survey uh, where they asked people if they regularly experienced loneliness. And 20% of the population said that they were lonely at that time. They did the same survey again in 2010, and the number had doubled. 40%, two out of every five people said that they regularly struggle with loneliness. You thought that you were the only one. I heard someone say that one of the, the deep heart questions that every person is asking is who will be there for me? And the reality is there's a lot of people who don't know how to answer that question. Why are so many of us lonely? And how do we respond to it? That's what we're talking about today. We're going to be looking at a passage in the little New Testament book called 2 Timothy. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Probably want to start at the back and move forward. Uh, all the books that start with T are clumped together. So if you found one, uh, you found them all. Uh, th this letter uh, was written by a guy named Paul. And he didn't write this as sort of a, a public document. He didn't write it uh, as something that would be published in the newspaper or, or, or sold someplace. He wrote it as a personal letter to a friend, a guy named Timothy, uh, who was a young pastor that Paul had mentored. Uh, Timothy was a, a pastor in the city of Ephesus, uh, and, and Paul is writing to him with a lot of personal details. There's a lot of things in here where Paul's really sharing his heart with a guy that he loves. It's sort of like reading an email that was sent to someone else but got forwarded to you. Uh, when you're reading it, you're kind of picking up on some of these background things and filling in some of the details as you read. Uh, when I looked up uh, 2 Timothy in the NIV Study Bible, in the introduction there, it said one of the reasons why uh, Paul wrote this letter was because Paul was lonely, and he was reaching out to a friend. This is actually the last letter of Paul that we have. Uh, he had spent his life traveling around the Roman Empire, and he would preach the gospel in different places and plant churches and start communities in each place. Uh, and, and as he did that, he got into some trouble. Uh, this is actually the second time that he was arrested by the Roman government. Uh, he's on trial in Rome under Emperor Nero. Uh, but at this time, he's, he's feeling really alone because even though he's on trial, no one has showed up to help him. And so he's reaching out to a friend and saying, can you come and visit me uh, here while I'm imprisoned in Rome? So let's read the end of this letter here, starting in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. 
When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Now, it might seem odd to call this list of names a message from God, but that's what it is. This is God's word, so let's thank him for it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we dig into this passage, we're going to look at two different things. We're going to look at the reasons why Paul was lonely, and we're also going to look at his response to that loneliness. So let's start with some of the reasons for his loneliness. Uh, one of the things that makes sense out of this passage is to realize that when Paul was going on his journeys to uh, plant these churches and do all this missionary work, he wasn't going by himself. Uh, in the ancient world, travel uh, for a long distance was pretty dangerous, and so you always went with a group of people. So when you imagine Paul's life, you should imagine him walking along the road, talking to people and having conversations and going into new towns and finding places to stay and having meals with people. It was a very communal life for him. Uh, but at this point in his life, his band of companions that had been doing all this work with him has sort of trickled away. Uh, people have been left in different places, and he's basically by himself. And so the question is, how did that happen? Where did all these people go? And there are actually multiple reasons for this. Uh, one reason is that some of his friends just flaked out on him. They, they, they just left him. Uh, look at verse 10. We meet this guy named Demas. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's a little bit ambiguous what it means when it says he loved the world. Uh, it might just mean that, you know, he uh, was scared by the danger that Paul was facing, and so he kind of just left and ran away. Uh, but in other places in the Bible, that phrase is used to mean when someone walks away from Jesus, where, where they want something other than Jesus more than they want him, and so they leave the faith. You ever have a friend that did that? It can be really discouraging. I, I was talking with a woman recently whose uh, husband left Christianity. They, they were really involved in their church. He was really involved in their church. Uh, but something painful happened there. And it kind of fed into his doubt and his cynicism. And uh, eventually he just kind of walked away. And she's still a follower of Christ and they're still married. But you can imagine how difficult that would be. Uh, have the person that you love the most just uh, walk away from the thing that's most important to you. The thing that used to bring you together now is a barrier between you. It's really hard. That's what happened, I think, here with Paul. Uh, Paul had other people who kind of flaked out on him. Look at verse 16. He talks about how when he was on trial this time, uh, he, he says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Uh, think about how that would feel. I, I've seen enough episodes of Law and Order to know how it's supposed to work, right? So at the end of each episode, the jury comes out and they, they file into that booth and they always pass a note to the, to the judge. Like, I think it's supposed to have the verdict on it, but I always imagine that when the judge opens it up, it says, Becky likes you. Do you like her? Check yes or no, you know? But after, after the judge gets the note, he has someone stand up and they declare the verdict. And at that moment, the camera cuts to the guy who's on trial. And he's standing there, he's waiting. And you, when you look behind him, there's always someone there. There's always a group of friends or family. 
and they're ready. They're waiting. They're either going to burst into tears or they're going to uh, start shouting and, and cheering because something's going to happen. But there's always that group of friends standing there for whoever it is, not for Paul. Can you imagine how scary that would be to be before a Roman judge with your life on the line and to be all by yourself? Some of you kind of know what that's like. You've been in a critical moment in your life, uh, the time when you absolutely needed your friends and they just weren't there for you. If things were good, they, they would say, you know, I'll always be there for you. I, I'm through thick and thin, I'm going to be there. But when it got hard, they, they, they just weren't. That's what happened to Paul. Uh, that's not the only reason, though, why he's lonely and, and without people. Uh, some of the people in his life simply moved on. They simply moved on to other things. Uh, look at the second half of verse 10. He talks about these two guys. Creskin has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, we don't know why they went to these cities, but they probably weren't doing anything wrong. It was just sort of circumstances in life uh, that sent them on to another place, separated them from Paul. And, and sometimes Paul was even uh, leaving other people behind. Uh, look at verse 20. He says, Erastus stayed in Corinth. Uh, Paul was doing some work in Corinth, but then he felt called to another place, and he, he went on to the next place and left a friend behind. It's simply part of the ebb and flow of life. I think about that a lot at this time of the year, because I remember every year when I was going into the new school year, there would be some point in the summer when you would get your new schedule or your new teacher, and, and you'd call up your friends and you'd say, hey, who, who do you have? You know, what, what class are you going to be in? And you'd find out this person's going to be in your history class, and this person's going to be in your lunch period, and you'd, you'd find out who you're going to be with. But you'd also find out who you weren't going to have any classes with and who wasn't in your lunch period. And I, I remember every year from first grade through grad school, I had a little bit of sadness with this. You'd find out that someone who uh, you had been with last year all the time and you were friends with, you weren't going to see it all this year. And you know, no one had done anything wrong. It was nobody's fault, but your, your friendship was going to suffer for that. You're going to drift apart. It's difficult. Uh, circumstances change. People move. People get new jobs. We, we live in the most mobile, transient culture that has ever existed. Uh, sometimes we don't even realize how easy it is to uproot and move to another place in the country or another place in the world. Uh, think about it like this. If someone says to you, you know what, I, I'm, I'm moving to Portland, you'd say, oh man, wow, that's, that's a big deal. And uh, you know, uh, next time I, I'm out there, I, we should probably get together. But if someone 200 years ago said, I'm moving to Oregon, you would say, do you need help packing your covered wagon? And like, what, what are you going to do when you get to the rivers? Are you, are you going to caulk the, the wagon and float across? Or are you going to ford the river? Or you know what I always do? I always just pay the Indian. It's easier, you know? Okay. Those of you who are kids in the 80s, you, you get the Oregon Trail reference. That, that joke was for mostly for me. Um, let's try this. How many of you uh, have moved in the last five years? Raise it, show of hands. Okay. Uh, how many of you do not currently live in the town that you grew up in? Okay. How many of you have ever changed churches? Okay, here's the thing. Those results 100 years ago would have been crazy, crazy. People didn't, didn't move that much. But today in America, the average person moves 11 times in their life, eight of those times after the age of 20. Uh, people in their 50s, on the average, a person in their 50s has had 12 different employers in their adult life. People in their 30s, on average, have had seven different employers in their adult life. And these stats don't include transfers and uh, moves across the country because of your company or whatever, and the, so the numbers are even higher. What does it do to your social world if people change jobs or move every three to five years? It tears it to shreds. Uh, one of the very best things you can do to have better relationships in your life, deeper relationships in your life, is to commit to staying in one place and one community for a very long time. But even if you do that, the reality is people move on, and, and they aren't doing anything wrong when they do that. It's just part of life. 
Another reason why Paul was alone was because he had actually made some good decisions. Look at verse 12. He said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Now that's kind of a minor detail, but if you actually search for the name Tychicus on a a Bible website, you'll find out uh, that what Paul did is he sent Tychicus to the church in Ephesus to carry a letter, a really important letter that we actually have in the Bible, the book of Ephesians. This is one of the most important documents in the history of the world. So this is a really important assignment that Paul sent this guy on. And as a leader, he made a difficult call to send one of his friends away from him. Some of you have been in leadership situations where you've had to make calls that left you more isolated than before, but you knew it was the right decision. Some of you are are parents and uh, you've sent kids away to college and you you know it's going to be so good for them. It's going to be really developmental for them. And you're you're so uh, excited about what's going to happen to them, but you are going to miss them like crazy every single day. Sometimes we end up more lonely, not because we're making bad decisions, but because we're making good ones. Other times, we feel lonely because there is someone who is actively hostile towards us. Uh, Paul experienced this a lot. Look at verse 14. He talks about Alexander the metal worker. He did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Sometimes there is someone who's just out to get you. They don't like you, they don't like what you stand for, and they're not keeping it to themselves. So they mock you to your face, they talk about you behind your back, they they shame you online, they pit other people against you. In simple terms, they are bullies. And and bullying isn't just a a thing that kids deal with, it it happens to adults too. Some of you are feeling isolated uh, at your work because there's a coworker who's picking on you. Uh, The really hard part is when uh, the bully is a lot closer to home, when they're actually in your home. Some of you are in uh, abusive situations. There's someone who is hurting you over and over again, Uh, a spouse or a parent, a sibling, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You've heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again. You do not need to stay in an abusive situation. I, I know it can be really hard, but I would plead with you, please get help. If you don't know what else to do, you can just reach out to someone who works here at the church. You can call up any day of the week and someone will be there to answer you and, and respond to you and we can get you help. If, if you're here on the weekend, you wanna pull aside any person who's got a name tag and say, hey, I, I just need to talk to somebody. I need to get some help. We will get you help. Uh, Paul here warns Timothy about Alexander. He, he doesn't say, you, you should just put up with this. It's gonna be hard. He says, be on your guard against him. You are not stuck in these kinds of situations. You do not have to be there alone. Even if you're not in an abusive situation, you might be encountering people who are are just hostile towards you. That can be really isolating. It was for Paul. Another reason why Paul was alone, uh, some of his friends weren't there for him, not because uh, they didn't care about Paul, but because they had their own personal problems to deal with. Uh, Look at verse 20. Paul says, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. This is actually really important to, to see. Because Trophimus didn't bail on Paul because he didn't love Paul. He, he, He was just sick. He couldn't help him. The experience of loneliness is a really uh, self-focused one a lot of times. We, we can get so focused on our pain that we get blinded to the pain that other people are experiencing. And, and so we end up feeling hurt by all these people. We say, you should have been there for me. You should have been there for me. But we don't see the fact that they're taking care of their, their sick parents. Or they're working two jobs because they lost their other one. Or they're dealing with something so overwhelming that they, they, even though they want to, they can't be there for you in the way that you desire. They're, they're dealing with their own personal problems. So there are a lot of different reasons why Paul was alone. There there are a lot of different reasons why we end up lonely. And why is it important to point that out? It's because this, because loneliness pesters us with a question. It it keeps asking us again and again, why are you alone? Why are you lonely? What have you done 
that you are isolated? What is wrong with you that you are lonely? And the answer, most of the time, is nothing. You haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with you that you're lonely. But our hearts say, you know, you're alone because you're not enough. You're alone because you're not worthy. You're alone because you are unlovable. But it's not your fault. Now, there might be times when you're the friend who's flaking out on other people or you're, you're the person who's hostile and pushing other people away. But most of the time, it isn't because you've done anything wrong. You've you got to hear this. Loneliness is not a verdict on your life. It does not declare anything about you. It is not a sign that you have done something wrong. It is not necessarily a sign that you are spiritually unhealthy. And here's how I know this. Because the person writing this letter was the Apostle Paul. He's one of the heroes of the faith, one of the most faithful people ever. He wasn't lonely because he did something wrong. A few verses earlier, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he's still lonely. He's not the only person in the Bible who was lonely. Moses was lonely. David was lonely. He wrote all this poetry about it. Elijah and Job and Jeremiah and others were lonely. Now, here's the big one. Jesus was lonely. Jesus, the perfect human being. Jesus, the one who never sinned. Isaiah 53 said he was despised and rejected by people. A man of suffering, familiar with grief. Loneliness doesn't tell you how good you are. Doesn't tell you how much God likes you. Doesn't tell you any of those things. Loneliness is something that happens to all of us, even the best of us. So there are lots of reasons for loneliness. But it doesn't mean you've got to be content with it. Let's look at the way Paul responded to his loneliness. I'm going to highlight three responses that he had. Uh, and here's the thing about these three responses. Uh, all of them are helpful, but they are most helpful if you get all three of them together. They're, they're more powerful in combination. Uh, here's the first one. Paul looked outward. He looked outward. Uh, one of the temptations when we're lonely is to, to turn totally in on ourselves, to, to focus completely on the pain that we feel and to withdraw into that feeling of loneliness. And, and I totally understand why we do that, but it is counterproductive. Uh, Paul does the opposite, actually. He reframes his experience uh, in terms of the big story of what God is doing around him in the world. L look at verse 17. He talks about how no one was there at his trial, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul doesn't dwell on his problems, even though he feels the pain of loneliness. He looks outward and says, what is God doing? And he says, look, look at how I got to share the message of Jesus. Look at how many people got to hear it. Look at what's going on. Loneliness thrives on self-focus. It, it, it feeds on it, and it tends to become a feedback loop. You, you, you turn in on your feelings, and it sort of amplifies those feelings. And you focus in on them more, and it just gets louder and louder. But the power of loneliness gets undermined when we look outward at other things. We say, what is God doing out there? For a lot of you, your loneliness is tempting you to do some things that are pretty self-destructive. You're thinking about getting into a relationship that you know isn't going to be good for you. Or you're staying in an unhealthy relationship. And you're doing it because you just don't want to be alone. You just need somebody there. Or you're engaging in addictive behavior, whether it's drinking or porn or shopping. You're doing something to numb that feeling of being alone. And these things seem to offer relief to us, but really what they do is they just keep turning us more and more inward on ourselves. Instead, what we need to do is spend time looking out. One of the best things that you can do when you're lonely is to spend time thinking about the needs of other people. It might start simply by doing random acts of kindness for your classmates or your coworkers. Or better yet, if you find a way to regularly serve, you know, volunteer in a ministry around here or get connected with one of our community impact partners 
Or start praying for your neighbors or uh, pray for your, the international impact partners. Do something to turn your focus outward onto the needs of other people. It's a big deal. The second way Paul responded to loneliness was by leaning on God. He leaned on God. Look back at verse 17. When no one was there for him, he said, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Verse 18, he expresses his confidence that the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. In order to cope with loneliness, we have to lean on God. Now, you might hear that and say, that sounds like the most churchy, obvious answer. Like, what else is the pastor going to say? Like, don't lean on God, you know? But I don't want you to miss this because it sounds like Christianity 101. It's not meant to be trite. Uh, Sometimes the most basic truths are the ones that are the most powerful and the ones that we overlook the most. One of the most frequent statements in the Bible is that God is with us. That God will never leave us or forsake us. That that he is near to the brokenhearted. That he will be with us to the very end. That's really important. You gotta let that sink in. Think about what you're going through right now. I I can promise you, whatever it is, God has not forgotten you. He he has not abandoned you. You are not alone. God is actually with you. And, And not only is he with you, but he loves you. He really, really loves you. And here's how I know that. Because I look at Jesus and I look at what he did. Jesus, uh, all that he experienced for all eternity before he made the world was the the friendship, the love of the Father and the Spirit, the joy of that community in the Trinity. And what did Jesus choose to do? He chose to show up and live a real human life, a life that was filled with loneliness, where, where his hometown rejected him, where his family misunderstood him, where his friends abandoned him at his moments of need. Jesus experienced real loneliness. In verse 17, when Paul says, no one showed up for my trial, but the Lord, Jesus, Jesus stood there with me. Think about why Jesus would stand there at Paul's trial. Why would he show up for that? Because no one showed up for his trial and he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be alone when you need people the most. Jesus left the fellowship of heaven for the abandonment of the cross. And that's how we know that we are loved. God became lonely so that we could be welcomed in. One of the things that keeps us from finding real community is the fact that when we're lonely, our hearts are really, really hungry for love. And it feels like nothing, nothing can seem to satisfy that hunger. We end up demanding from people more than they can possibly give us. It's like a starving person showing up at a wedding reception. And you've been told, you know, there's going to be a meal served here. You can, you can have as much as you want to eat. And it turns out it's only hors d'oeuvres. And so you're like, I'm going to eat like 20 of those bruschettas, you know, and I'm going to get a bunch of those little bacon wrap things. And you, you follow the waiter into the, you know, into the kitchen. You say, just give me that tray. I need as much as I can give. That, that's what we do in community when, when our hearts are that hungry. We, nothing can satisfy our need. An author named Henry Nowen describes how this works. He says, if we do not know that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to expect someone in the community to make us feel that way. They cannot. We'll, we'll expect someone to give, that, give us that perfect, unconditional love. If we want other people to give us something that only God can give, we become a demon. We say, love me. And before you know it, we become violent and demanding and manipulative. If we are not first welcomed by God, no human welcome is gonna be enough to, to, to meet that deep insecurity. And this might sound really basic, but, but it's the reason why we set aside time each and every day to be with God, to be in his word, to pray. Because we need to hear God's gracious words of love, that, that he's for us and not against us, so that he's with us. 
We need to cast our cares on him. We need to experience that. Our daily time with God is not about uh, rules and rituals and checking things off the box any more than eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner are. We eat every day because it keeps us alive and we spend time with God every day for the same reason. But here's the interesting thing, and I'm going to say something that might be a little surprising, might even sound a little blasphemous at first. When it comes to loneliness, God is not enough. When it comes to loneliness, God is not enough. We have to lean on God, but we also need to long for people. We need to long for people. Because God didn't design us to have all our needs met by just him. God designed us uh, in the same way that he uh, keeps us alive through uh, uh, food and water and air. He, our souls are kept alive by connection with other people. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the very first one, when God's making the world. And the reason I like it is it feels like God is having so much fun as he does it. Everything he makes, he looks at it and he says, this is amazing, this is so good. He, he makes the light and the dark and he says, it is good. He makes the, the, the land and the sea and he says, it is good. He makes the stars and the sun and the moon, he says, it is good. And each thing he makes, the plants and the, the sea creatures and the, the animals and the human beings, he says, it is very good. He loves it. It's like he can't keep it in. He's just delighting so much in what he has made. But in that first story, there is one thing that God looks at and he says, this is not good. He, he puts Adam in the Garden of Eden and he sees him all by himself and he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. He, he was in paradise. He had all of his needs met. He had a perfect relationship with God. There was no sin. Nothing was broken yet. And God still looked at him and said, it's not good that he's by himself. We were made for people. We were not made to be isolated. Sometimes we get really weird about admitting when we're lonely. We feel ashamed to say it, like we're telling people that something is wrong with us. When the reality is the fact that we long for people says that something is right about us. That's how we were made to be. In this passage, Paul doesn't get embarrassed to say to Timothy, I need you. He doesn't fake it. He doesn't try to look strong. Twice, he urges Timothy, come quickly. Verse 9, he says, do your best to come quickly. At the end, at verse 21, he says, do your best to get here before winter. He's eager to see him. He doesn't want to wait any longer than he has to. And he also asks him to bring a friend. He says, bring Mark with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Verse 11. That's actually a really interesting request. If you read the book of Acts, you see the relationship between Paul and Mark as it develops. And it ends in kind of a weird place because Mark goes on a trip with Paul and he kind of flakes out on him. He abandons him. It gets hard and Mark runs away. And so the next time that Paul is going on a trip, Mark says, I want to come along with you. And Paul says, no, you can't come. I don't actually trust you. And that's the end of the relationship in the book of Acts. We don't actually know how it resolves. But what's interesting is we read this letter, the last letter of Paul in his life, and it's clear that they've made amends. He's made up with this person. He says, he's very helpful to me in my ministry. It's interesting to see how Paul responds to people who have abandoned him. That loneliness can make you bitter about people that you thought should be there for you but weren't. But Paul has learned how to release his bitterness. He doesn't release it by simply writing it off, by saying, you know what, what people did, it's no big deal. Look, look at what he does in, in verses 14 and 16. There's an interesting contrast here. In verse 14, Paul talks about this guy, Alexander, who is, who is really hostile to him. And he says, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. But then in verse 16, he talks about the people who weren't there for him at his trial, and he says, may it not be held against them. Doesn't that seem a little bit odd? Like in verse 14, he's kind of vindictive. In verse 16, he's really forgiving. Like how do those things go together? 
What helps us to see that what Paul's actually doing is the same thing in both situations. What he is saying is, it is not my job to punish people who weren't there for me. So with the people who didn't show up at his trial, he's looking at them, and these are people who are probably sorry for what they did. They still love Paul, and they feel bad that they weren't there for him. And, and so he says, oh, don't, don't hold it against them. I, I'm not going to you know, keep holding the grudge like that. They're repentant. I, I want to be reconciled to them. With Alexander, this guy who's hostile to him, he's looking at him and saying, you know, I'm not going to just sort of let him off the hook, but it's not my job. It, it's the Lord who will repay him. I'm going to leave it in God's hands. It's not my job to figure out how to pay him back. In both cases, he's saying, it is not my job to get payback or penalty from other people. But when you're lonely and you feel abandoned, your, your instinct is to find ways to get those people who weren't there for you to pay. They'll lash out at them, to keep bringing up their failures, to talk about them behind their back, to, to keep that anger stoked against them because you don't want to let them off the hook. But what that kind of bitterness does is it just keeps us trapped in our loneliness. It turns us in on ourselves again. So that's why Paul lets it go, puts it in God's hands. He, he also doesn't let the fact that he's been burned in the past keep him from reaching out to people in the future. He's totally honest. He's really vulnerable. He says to Timothy, I need you. When we're lonely, we've got to reach out to other people. How, how do we do that? Uh, we're going to talk more about this next week, how to pursue deeper, more meaningful relationships. But I'll, I'll just say something simple here. Uh, it is completely okay when you are alone, when you feel lonely, to say to another person, hey, I'd like to get you more, to get to know you more. I, I'd like to, uh, you know, I, I talk with you, you know, every once in a while we pass each other, we, we see each other at work or at school or at church or whatever, but I, I don't really know your story. Could, could we get together for coffee and just get to know each other. You'd be surprised. I mean, two out of every five people are experiencing loneliness right now. They might say, I, have, I would love to do that. I was hoping that someone would want to go and, and get to know me. At a church, we should have the freedom to feel even more vulnerable, to actually say to someone, you can actually do this. You can say, you know, Pastor Clayton said it was okay. I'm just going to let you know, I'm feeling lonely lately, and I don't expect you to solve all my problems, but I, w could we get to know each other more? I'd just like to, you know, hear about your life. You can do that. Now, some of you are thinking, well, uh, okay, but who do I say that to? Like, I, I don't really know. I don't have any candidates in my life that I could just reach out like that. We try to make it as easy as possible to get in community here at the church. That's the reason why we have community groups. You can think of our community groups kind of like the buddy bench on the playground, okay? So if, you, if you're saying, I really would like to get to know people, there are already people who are saying, I am willing to get together and to talk about God and talk about life and to talk about real things and to be involved in each other's business. Uh, if you want to be in that, uh, we would welcome you in. Uh, this week is actually the easiest week of the year to get connected with a community group. Uh, in just a few minutes, when the service is over, you can walk out into the atrium of all four of our campuses, go to Group Connect, walk up to a table and say, you know what, uh, this is the night that I'm available. What groups are available for me? And they'll, they'll let you know. And you can go and try out a group. Uh, one of the things that most people don't realize is you can actually try out a group. And if you show up and the people are like totally weird and you're like, I'm not going to connect with these people, you can try a different group the next week. Like no one's going to be offended. You just say, hey, it's not working out. We'll send you another group and we'll, we'll help you find people that you can connect with. It's really important uh, for everybody to have someone that they can walk with. Uh, but here's the other thing. I don't think it is on the shoulders of the lonely person to solve their loneliness. It doesn't matter how many times someone reach out, reaches out to other people. If they are not welcomed by a community, if they're not welcomed by other people, there will be no solution to their loneliness. It's on us to make sure that there are no lonely people in our community. This is the reason why in the New Testament, we are told again and again, welcome one another, be hospitable to one another, accept one another, because that's supposed to be a mark of the Christian community. 
This should be a place where people can find connection. So this is what I would challenge each of us to do. Whether you feel lonely, whether you feel well-connected, think of one person in your life. You say, you know what, I I see them, uh, but I'm not real close to them. I don't know them that well, but I I would like to get to know them. Uh, And do one thing that just sort of gestures and says, hey, I'm I'm open to getting to know you more. Uh, You know, call them up and say, you know, you want to just get coffee. You want to come over and play games and get dessert at my house. Or maybe you want to take your kids to the park with me and we can just talk as our kids play. Or or maybe uh, instead of uh, posting something on social media that you say, oh, this was really funny, you just text it to one person and say, this made me laugh. I thought it would make you laugh. Or you listen for things that people bring up kind of in passing about their life. And you follow up a little bit later and say, hey, t- tell me more about that. It seemed like it, it was something important to you. I'd like to hear how that's going. Do, do something to just reach out and say, I want to know you more. I want to be a part of your life. Let's welcome people the way God has welcomed us. We're going to pray now and sing one final song. As we do that, we'll collect our gifts and our offerings. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are the God who has welcomed us. Even though we were the the people who abandoned you, we are the people who were hostile to you, you said, I I still want to be in community with you. I want to welcome you in. God, that that love is so incredible. God, God, we pray that we would be the sort of people who can extend that love to others. That, that, That we would love the people around us, no matter where they're coming from, no matter what is going on in their life. That they would not be abandoned because we would be there for them. God, we, we pray um, for people who are here who are feeling that ache of loneliness. God, I pray that you would uh, stand by them like you did, Paul, that you would be near to them in, in their, their sadness and their sorrow. Uh, God, I, I pray that you would uh, fill them up with your love, and I pray that very soon people will come into their life who would welcome them and love them. God, we pray uh, that we would be a community where no one, no one has to feel lonely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.